Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com. 18 plus begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello and welcome to the Game Day podcast from TalkSport with me, Sam Matterface, Trevor Sinclair, the former Manchester City, England and West Ham winger, and TalkSport's Alex Crook on a weekend when Pep's quad went. Well, this is the stage of the season where the heart starts to flutter, where you start to believe that anything is possible. Werner played in by Mount and he's onto the edge of the penalty area here. There's space for Ziyech inside the middle of the box and he squared it and it's in. And Hakim Ziyech puts Chelsea in front. Mike Dean blows the four-time whistle and calls time on Pep Guardiola's quadruple quest. All four is no more. Also on the podcast, after reports that a European Super League is in the offing, Alex Crook, TalkSport's commentator, says he hopes supporters force the big clubs to change their minds. They don't care a jot about the history and the tradition of, of, of whatever country they're operating in. They don't care about their supporters. They don't care about their club. Quite frankly, if they want to go and form a European Super League, good riddance. Plus, how reaching the top four might not be enough for Champions League qualification, losing Sheffield United and Leicester's first semi-final of the FA Cup in 52 years. All on the ultimate review of all the weekend's footballing action. From TalkSport, it's the Game Day Podcast. And a big hello to Trevor Sinclair and Alex Crook. I've literally just walked out of Wembley and we will get to the semi-finals in just a second but the big news is all really about the uh, European Super League and the uh, the proposals that were leaked to the media on Sunday and trying to make a a competition which would be a close shot to some of the, the littler teams and I actually spoke to Kasper Schmeichel about it and I thought it was quite interesting that he said you know Leicester were a team that won the league from a League One position and got into into Europe and played in the Champions League and, and they had ambition they fulfilled that ambition <clears throat> And you can't close down that ambition. And I think, I think the general reaction has sort of supported that claim, isn't it? That actually the big clubs, they may well be the most popular in, in the world. They may well be the, the most vastly supported out of all the clubs in the league. But it's not up to them to decide the destiny of everyone, is it, Trevor? No, I'm, I'm, I'm fuming just for the good of the game. You know, I think you look at certain stories and I think the Leicester winning the league... Um, and, and being right in there at the elite and breaking that status quo. I think that's what we all love about the game. You know, the, the underdogs can go and, do, and make surprises. That's why we've fallen in love with the FA Cup. And to have an elite uh, group of teams from different countries playing in that competition, 
with no relegation or not much chance of relegation, not much chance to break into that group. Um, it goes against everything that I believe, you know, since I've been playing football in the 40 years of my life. And I hope the fans, you know, um, speak with their feet and speak with their credit cards and don't buy into it if this gets over the line. But I'm really hoping that it doesn't. Yeah, will it get over the line? Because I, the way I read it, I've got to be honest with you, Alex, I, I thought very much straight from the off, this is just a power play because UEFA were due on Monday to unleash their, their new plans for the revamped Champions League. The, 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 obviously, the, these clubs, and I think it's the, top, the traditional top six in England, plus AC Milan, Real Madrid, one or two others, have, have basically turned their nose up at it and they're trying to sort of ruin it before it's announced. I mean, and just try and get a bigger share of the, the, the upcoming prize money. I think it's brinkmanship, isn't it? Um, and, and I don't think it will get off the ground. I think you have to ap- applaud UEFA, uh, the Premier League, the, the various national associations for the fact they've come out in such strong terms with the statements that were released in unison on, on Sunday afternoon and, and, and the threats they've made that, it, that if the big six try and see this through, um, then they'll be banned from competing in the Premier League, they'll be banned from UEFA competition. And crucially, I think their players will be banned in all likelihood from representing their countries. And if you're going to say to Mohamed Salah, for example, you can't play at a World Cup for Egypt, then I think players will start voting with their feet as well. So yeah. I, I think a lot of pe- people deserve a lot of credit. I agree with Trev. Anger was my overriding emotion. I think it's absolutely disgraceful, particularly after the year that we've had as a society when we should be coming together and, and being more united than ever. This would just prove divisive, which is the last thing that we need. Gary Neville, for me, summed it up articulately, passionately on Super Sunday. I think he spoke for every mm-hmm. right-minded football fan. And it's about time we stood up and, and took a stand because basically this is about the fat cats lining their own pockets. This is about overseas owners predominantly. They don't care a jot about the history and the tradition of of, of whatever country they're operating in. They don't care about their supporters. They don't care about their club. Quite frankly, if they want to go and form a European Super League, good riddance because we all know that I'm a Manchester United fan. If this did get over the line and Manchester United was seen to be one of the driving forces and they were one of the founder members of this European Super League, I would no longer call myself a Manchester United supporter. And I think a lot of people, fans of the big clubs, would feel exactly the same. Yeah, I just think it's, it's just unsafe. We don't, I don't think the fans want it. That, that's the key thing. And although it might be a global, there might be a global appeal to it, you know, hopefully the clubs have got the message very quickly. I don't think they care about the fact that everyone's up in arms because they are just using it as a, as a bit of brinkmanship. They are using it as a negotiating tool. So I don't think they'll worry too much about the fact that people are a little bit annoyed about it. But that said, I think it's quite clear that we have to make it a sort of fundamental pillar of, 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 of our protest that we are not prepared to accept it and we're not going to go and watch it. We're not going to get involved in it because it's not, that's not the way that football is run. And I, I don't think that there is any sort of right-minded football fan who doesn't think that there needs to be a restructuring of maybe even the leagues, even the European competitions. I think we can all accept that actually the way the calendar works is probably a little bit outdated mm. but this is not you, you don't close off everybody else you don't exclude everybody else that's not the way it works it's not the NFL well I look, I look at I look at the story from a player's perspective and you look at Ollie Watkins you know what six seven years ago he's playing in a yeah. very very low non-league level and all of a sudden he gets a move to Exeter which is a, a lower league club and then he gets that move 
to Villa uh, after Brentford. And all of a sudden, he's scoring for England at Wembley. I don't think that happens with this new form Super League because I think the elite players are going to recruit from around the world. They're not going to be governed like with our recruitment. Now you can only have a certain amount of young players. Mm. They'll be getting kids in from all over the world at very young ages and just picking the best, the most elite for their first teams. I don't think that pathway will be there for players like Ollie Watkins. So from a fundamental, I played in the fourth division. So it means a lot to me. It's, 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 it's the fabric of my journey in football. And for me, that is, this, this is a threat to that pathway for young players and I don't want to see it. Down the left-hand side, Chelsea left uh, by Chilwell towards Werner. Werner into the penalty area, tries to find Ziyech. First time shot and the offside flag goes up despite Ziyech putting the ball into the net. The VAR will look at it. Chelsea only momentarily celebrate, but a warning sign for the Manchester City backline. James Cavalier down the right-hand side towards the edge of the area. Producers across, it's over the head to Chilwell who shoots into the side netting. Didn't catch it right. Werner played in by Mount and he's on to the edge of the penalty area here. There's space for Ziyech inside the middle of the box and he squared it and it's in. And Hakim Ziyech puts Chelsea in front. Timo Werner timing the pass perfectly. Ziyech and then into Mount who twirls away from Phil Foden. It's fascinating watching those two on the same field once again. Ziyech has got him behind the defender. He's up against Stefan who comes out, makes himself big and it's cleared away. Werner is joining across, comes Diaz and it's turned out to this right-hand side. Here's a corner on this near side to be taken by Foden. Left-footed, deep towards the far post. It's headed back across the face of goal and then into the air by Diaz when he really should have found the net. And it's over the top and away for a goal kick to Chelsea. Pulisic, who's on the edge of the area, he cuts in field, onto his right foot, takes on the defender, shoots towards the far corner, and in, the offside flag goes up as he goes for the knee slide towards the far corner, and the goal will be disallowed. It's the second goal that Chelsea have had disallowed in the game. Mike Dean blows the four-time whistle and calls time on Pep Guardiola's quadruple quest. All four is no more. Chelsea beat Manchester City on Saturday at 5.30. Trevor and I were there with a talk sport. Uh, it was a very different game to the non-contest in December where Chelsea weren't very good at all. But this week they got it tactically spot on, Trevor. But did Pep make a mistake changing so many players? And is that a legitimate question? Because he doesn't think it is. Well, it, it really isn't because he's been making changes. He made seven changes for the game against Leeds. He, he made many more changes for the game against Dortmund. And he made seven or eight changes for the game against Chelsea. I think the fact yeah. that Stefan was playing um, over the number one goalkeeper, Edison, I think a lot of people you know, raise their eyebrows at that. But for me, it, it, it's not really a question that he should answer because he has been changing like that and rotating his squad throughout the season. And, and, and a lot of people have praised him for doing that. And that's why they've got that, well, what is now an eight-point lead at the top of the table. But for me, I'd, li- I'd rather, I'd rather uh, concentrate on the positives for Chelsea and how well Thomas Tuchel has done with that group of players, which is the same group of players that Frank Lampard had, apart from Conte's fit. Um, I thought they were excellent. I thought they great energy. 
fantastic uh, team spirit. You could see the togetherness on the pitch. Their understanding was superb. The, um, the play in the middle of the park was slick. Um, and, and Conte found himself in acres of space many, many times. So obviously the game plan works. And then Timo Werner with his, with his forward movements, breaking lines. It was a, it was a threat early doors. A goal was cancelled out for just being offside. Uh, very similar to the goal that ended up winning the game for Chelsea. And I just thought they were the better team. And, you know, uh, although Frank may not have got the best out of that team, it's not a million miles away from the team that Frank was playing. There's slightly different formation, but the personnel are the same. And I think you've got to give a lot of credit to Thomas Suchel for turning that about. Yeah, two defeats in 19, a Champions League semi-final, an FA Cup final as well. Timo Werner assisting goals rather than scoring them. I spoke to him afterwards, actually. He said, look, they didn't buy me to assist goals. When I'm not <laughs> scoring, I, ha- I have to make a contribution. And he is doing that. Now, Trevor didn't want to talk about Pep Guardiola's decision to rest uh, players or change he didn't. the team. Um, uh, uh, is he wearing the City shirt again? <laughs> I couldn't quite see. Uh, but Pep Guardiola didn't want to answer it either, did he? I mean, and he, he attacked a journalist for even daring to question him. I mean, look, I think it's a legitimate question to ask him. I mean, he, he can answer it any way he likes, but I don't think he's... I think he needs to realise that he's not always right and he's not beyond question, is he? Or no, am I, I, thought, I, I thought... it. At best, it was churlish to react the way he did. At, at worst, it was downright rude, to be honest, because it's a journalist's right and, and a journalist's job to ask those kind of questions. And as a manager in a, in a big semi-final, you, you live and die by the decisions that you make. We're going to talk about Southampton later and leaving out Theo Walcott, which for me was the wrong call from Ralph Hasenhut. And I just think, I understand where Trevor is coming from, but I've had this conversation about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. When you make wholesale changes like that, coming into a big game... I just think it sends out the wrong message in the and dressing it was so room. So many changes, and you said to me before, and it happened last week in the game against Leeds. When you make that many changes, it's very difficult to get those connections that you're so used to having, mm. Trevor. Yeah, and and just just going to that. I mean, you know, are you going to change subject again? No, no. Even though right, he okay. made the amount of changes that he made, you know, let's look at performances within them changes that he made. Raheem yeah. Sterling, you know, he's really struggling for confidence. He's really yeah. struggling for form at the moment. That wasn't the standard that we're used to seeing Raheem Sterling play at. Uh, Ferran Torres, he has played well. He has been involved in a lot of goals in his games while he's, when he's played for Manchester City. His performance wasn't up there. Jesus, again, for me, was limp. He had a great opportunity. And you, you can't ask a better person than Mark Hughes, who's on commentary with us. You know, a ball came into him. It was perfect for a first time. A bit of a, He might have had to leave the ground, but it was perfect for a right foot volley, a right foot cross. And he decided to take a touch and the chance had gone. The performances weren't good enough. Mender, his end products, you know, his ability to move the ball um, like Manchester City like to move the ball. Jao Cancelo. So the players that they brought in, I mean, Jao Cancelo, we've been talking about him this season, one of the mm. Manchester City's best players. It doesn't matter that he changed the amount of players that he changed. The players that came in had poor performances. And that's what he was saying in the pre-match press conference. He was very animated. And when you and I wonder whether or not he sort of sensed something because he was mm. very sweary and very animated and demanding that someone comes out and, and gives a big performance. A lot of that was directed towards Raheem Sterling, who had been sort of giving an interview to Rio Ferdinand where he said he'd been had a weird season. It was a weird performance for him. He hardly featured. And when he did, he misplaced or mm. overhit his passes. I wonder whether or not there was also sort of some timely headlines placed in the papers the next day because immediately in the aftermath, and I sent it round to both of you, the fact that he's been linked again with Real Madrid. Yeah, I did appreciate that. Thanks. 
<laughs> you really cheered up, Trevor. Um, I think he's committed to Manchester City. I think, again, what this does illustrate is that a few weeks ago when we were almost suggesting that City could win the Premier League with two different squads, we were probably getting a little bit carried away because some of the players that Trevor's mentioned there, um, particularly Benjamin Mendy... Were we? Or were we just looking at the squads and thinking, this is two great teams and they should be doing that? And actually, they let themselves down by not performing in the game. Well, they've let themselves down for a couple of weeks now, actually, because obviously they've lost at home to 10-man leads. They weren't great in either game against Borussia Dortmund. And speaking to German experts at Talk Sport before that tie, Andy Brassel said Manchester City w- w- would cruise past Borussia Dortmund. He said they haven't got any hope at all, Borussia Dortmund. And it didn't really play out like that. Um, so I said, I've said before on this podcast, I didn't think they'd win all four trophies because I, I thought they would come up short in the Champions League. I'll stand by that. So what I'm saying now is they'll probably only win two trophies. And, and my question to Trevor is, if they do only win two trophies, and this is not, this is not me taking the Michael, is, is that a disappointing season when you look at what you could have won? I think when you, when you talk to proper football people, yeah. I think the benchmark is the Premier League. If you win the Premier League, it doesn't matter if you don't win anything else. And also, I think it it's shows how season. difficult it is to win multiple trophies yeah. year in, year out. And it actually yeah. highlights the achievement that they managed a couple of years ago when they did win three trophies. And, the treble. You know, it wasn't, yeah, no, it wasn't the proper, it wasn't the proper treble. It wasn't the proper treble. Let's talk a little bit about Chelsea then because they did do very well in the game. Mm. I thought they played well and two players that actually hadn't played very well for them recently, Werner and uh, Ziyech certainly did that on Sunday. But they, they're in a situation now where they could end up winning uh, multiple trophies themselves. They could win the Champions League and, and the FA Cup. They've got to fight in the league as well, to stay in the top four. They go to Brighton on Tuesday. What do you think we'll expect for that? More of the same, I think. Uh, I, was, I was looking at Thomas Tuchel's record. The most impressive stat for me is the managers that he's managed to, yeah. to beat and, and, and beat without conceding a goal as well. Um, Jose, obviously. Um, Despite having Kepa Aretha Balaga in goal, <laughs> which is quite amazing because he can't save a Microsoft Word document. But he's well, I think Je- that's quite harsh, actually, because we, we spoke about this in commentary. Do, because... do you? Or, or have you just not looked at the stats? No, I have looked at the stats, but I'm just talking about the performance we've seen on Saturday. Yeah, but he it... didn't have to save anything. But what he did, he did really well. He did in a humble way, because you know what goalkeepers like. The, the, the different breeds, mm. and they'll either want some kind of uh, interaction with a, an opponent to get themselves riled up, or they'll tra- try and take too many touches, or they'll mishandle a ball. Everything was spot on. You didn't even notice who was there. And I think that's the biggest compliment you can give to a goalkeeper. And actually, you mentioned in commentary about how he, I think he pulled his hamstring uh, previously a while back. And I was watching him quite a lot, just, you know, in my peripheral vision, just to see starting position, just to see if there was that threat over the top from Manchester City, which there wasn't. Um, But I was looking at his starting position and throughout the whole game, and you can look at this back, he was doing mobile uh, exercises on the move. So you could see him doing his hamstring exercises, his groin exercises. So I think he's learning. I think he's growing up. He got a lot, a lot very soon in his career. And I think that's where the problem was with Sarri and, and that, that situation, which was very uncomfortable for you know, a professional who brought up in a different era where you'd probably get knocked out for something like that. To see that happening, it was, it was really unsavoury. But... I think he's grown up a little bit. I think he's, he's at his humble pie and I think you may, get a, you may even get a keeper out of there in the end. Sam's face is not that of somebody that you've convinced, <laughs> Trevor. Um, but, but, I mean, going back to that record, he's obviously now beaten Pep, he's beaten Jose Mourinho, he's beaten Simeone twice, he's beaten Ancelotti, all without conceding a goal. 
and it, it wasn't just a defensive masterclass the weekend. I thought the way that they got Timo Werner in particular and Ziyech on the shoulders of the Manchester City defence, they couldn't handle that ball in behind. I, I thought it was brilliant for, from Thomas Tuchel. It was, it was a well-deserved victory. And again, Kevin Hatchard, TalkSport's resident Bundesliga expert, he's convinced that under Tuchel, Chelsea will be genuine Premier League contenders next well, season. Tuchel said, you know, from the first day of next season, we are going to hunt Manchester City down. Let's see if that happens. They play Brighton on Tuesday night. Should be an interesting game. Uh, Brighton themselves probably will be looking over their shoulder still. They haven't entirely, entirely sorted out the, uh, the, the, uh, the relegation. I think we have. Oh, you said that every week. It's still a few <laughs> games to go. You never know. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds updates on talk sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. The FA Cup, the original and the best. It's Tielemans who's charging forward under pressure from Redmond, but steers it out to the left where Perez takes over, right-footed, tries to curl it towards the far post, but he overhits it and it goes out and away for a goal kick away to our right. Here is Perez over on the left, playing it into Vardy, edge of the area, exchanges passes back with the Spaniard, produces across towards the far post, the Nacho is driving towards it, doesn't reach it, it just flies behind and away for a goal kick, but it's the best move of the match by our Tielemans has sent the ball on into Vardy, inside the area, it's a tight angle, and he's Sent it narrowly over the top from a 45-degree angle on the edge of the six-yard box. That's a big chance for Jamie Vardy when he's through with that sort of pace. Vardy away from Benderek, speeding down the left-hand side. He's got Nacho in the centre and at the back post, Castagna. He looks for Nacho. first time volley, comes back to him and scores! It's 12-12 for Nacho and Leicester lead in the FA Cup semi-final. And now the Foxes are having a party and no one will be bemoaning this one. Ings is running now and it's three on three and Ings has got space for Shea Adams inside the area. Onto his right foot, took too long to get the shot away, it's blocked, comes back out, it's hit by Diallo, and it goes over the top of the crossbar from 20 yards. And that is the end of the FA Cup semi-final, and Leicester City reached the FA Cup final for the first time in 52 years. Leicester have beaten Southampton by a goal to nil. 
Leicester City against Southampton finished 1-0 to Leicester. Brendan Rodgers taking um, Leicester City to a FA Cup, funny, uh, FA Cup final for the first time since 1969. He was delighted afterwards. Absolutely delighted. And it was a really... Uh, a well-managed performance after they got themselves in front. It wasn't a particularly good game. And I just wondered that uh, whether or not you thought, Alex, that Southampton left it all out on the field because this was their game, wasn't it? You know, at the end of the day, yeah. this was their season in one 90-minute match. I spoke to Ralph Hasenhutl afterwards. I asked him that question. He said absolutely they did. Did they? No. I don't think it was just their season. I think it was their game for many a season. They haven't won an FA Cup semi-final since 2003. There's no guarantee they'll get there again anytime soon. I was really underwhelmed and disappointed with the Southampton performance. I know they've not been great in the league this year. I mentioned the stat on Thursday's podcast, 10 points from a possible 15 since the turn of the year. But if you can't get yourself up for an FA Cup semi-final when you're not a club historically that graces that stage very often, you are in big trouble. And the fact they barely managed a shot on goal over the course of the game. They didn't leave it all out there at all. I think there's a lot of players in that squad who will who will go home wondering, you know, wondering what could have been because well, Leicester weren't Walcott great. Will be wondering why it wasn't picked. Well, I was going to come on to that and, and I mentioned it earlier, team selection. Theo Walcott, and you spoke to him before the game. I've spoken to him on numerous occasions. He loves the FA Cup. And even when he was injured, he pulled his hamstring a few weeks ago. He was saying, oh, I hope to get back for the quarterfinal. He didn't quite make the quarterfinal, but he was fit and available for a semi-final. He's their most experienced campaigner when it comes to Wembley, when it comes to the FA Cup. He scored in a cup final. I don't understand why you would leave a player like that if you're a team like Southampton, why you would not utilise that experience and why you would leave him on the bench. I think he got the team selection wrong. Musa Gineppo has done little to justify getting in. Nathan Redmond was poor again, I thought. I think Theo will be privately quite disappointed that, that he wasn't picked from the starting eleven. He left it too late to bring him on. Yeah. Um, Trevor, as far as Leicester concerned, though, I mean, terrific for them to get to an FA Cup final. You know, I spoke to Casper afterwards and he was, you know, made up because it's a dream come true to play in an FA Cup final. Yeah. You know, the, the, they've won the league and they never thought they would do that. They're playing the Champions League and they thought they'd do that. But now they're they're in a final of an FA Cup and that's something else to tick off on the, on the Leicester City bucket list. Yeah, it's a great story. I think everyone somewhere in the heart's got a special little place for, for Leicester City after what they did in 2016. Yeah. It was incredible. We were all waiting for them to blow up that year, hoping that they didn't uh, and they didn't and they did it with class. Um, they did it with an unbelievable team spirit. And uh, I think they've still got elements of that team spirit. Although the players are missing, you know, what happened with their owner uh, a few years ago, I think that again uh, brings the squad together because there was a lot of love there and, and that was a lot of heartache for the club. But again, these, dis these difficult times in your life, they can do special t things to teams. And I think this is, there's still a little bit of that in this Leicester City side. And I mean, Casper Michael, he was my boot boy at Manchester City. I can't speak highly enough about him. I'm so proud of what he's achieved in his life. He had a huge shadow with his father and what his father achieved in the game um, to step out of. And, you know, he's, he's done that with so much class and dignity. And, yeah. you know, the way he carries himself. He, he's, he talks I think so he's, well, doesn't he? Yeah. Annually, I think he, he, he's voted... Uh, Danish player of the year. He, he just, he, he is a class act and, and I'm, I'm absolutely over the moon for him. And you know what, Leicester in the, in the cup fight, I think they've got a great chance, you know, with that team spirit and that group of players. And actually just going back to what happened last week. And I think Brendan Rodgers, you know, he looks at the bigger picture. Yeah. If he wanted to try and protect his players and, and, and win at all cost, he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have banned them players last week to play in that game. I think he stuck to his principles 
And I think when you do things like that, you get rewarded. And he left Madison out today as well, which again, exactly. sort of yeah. shows strength. And they've done it. They did it without I always he played. He didn't play, play particularly well. But I just think that sticking to your principles and not thinking, I need to let these off because I need three points last week. Mm. He stuck to his principles. And I think when you do things like that as a manager, good things happen. And yeah, I'm delighted for Brendan as well. The irony isn't lost on me that we started this podcast bemoaning greedy owners who are motivated only by self-interest. Leicester are the perfect antidote to that, really. Yeah. Um, when, when you look at what the owners there have done and obviously the, the tragic circumstances. And I think anybody apart from a Chelsea fan, sorry, Sam, will, will be winning Leicester to win this FA Cup. You, you could say it's a, a date with destiny. Look, if Brendan Rodgers wins it, he would have deserved to have won it. And, um, you know, there couldn't be a better bloke to do it because he's, he's absolutely a fantastic coach and he's brilliant. With, with, he treats everybody with respect. Yep. He, he manages his club brilliantly. And if he does do it, then he would have deserved it. And I think he's um, matured but, as a manager as well. Absolutely. You know, you remember I when he went to, to, to right. Liverpool and he had this old fly on the wall documentary. And, you know, I think he got a little bit lively there with himself the and his success. And um, I think he's humbled himself. He's gone, he's gone up north. He, he, he's managed Celtic w- w- with style uh, and, and, and success. And he's come back down. Another a, one of your I, clubs. I think he's come back down a different character. And he is, for me, one of the best managers in the world now. Tre- Trevor, just, just before we move on to Everton, Tottenham and, and other games this weekend, how good a boot boy was Cashbush Michael? Well, Ooh, that's <laughs> not, not very. That's not good. <laughs> the, the pitches, I mean, if he would have been a boot boy when I was a boot boy, training at Squires Gate at Blackpool yeah. in the mud and you're yeah. having to graft for your Christmas bonus, right. then I could judge him. But the pitches at Manchester City at, at Carrington were absolutely superb. So when you come in, your boots hardly had any mud on them anyway, but he did, he did a job and I'm still looking for a bit of a, a back payment of what I paid him for Christmas. I think he gave him 350 quid bonus. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm putting an interest on that every year that he doesn't pay me. <laughs> Everton 2, Tottenham 2. That was Friday night's game. It certainly wasn't dull. But all eyes very much drawn to Harry Kane's ankle. How concerned should we be? And did we get that uh, promised Sunday sermon, Crook, where Jose Mourinho was going to tell us that everything was okay or not? Um, at the last time of checking, I don't think we got a definitive answer. Uh, no, my, understanding, my understanding was that they were waiting for the swelling to go down, which is the norm, um, before they could conduct a, a thorough scan, a thorough review. Um, I guess no news is, is potentially good news, Trev, is it, at this stage? I mean, Gareth Southgate, who uh, attended more matches than Matterface this weekend. Uh, <laughs> That's difficult. <laughs> will obviously be, uh, be monitoring this one, but it's that time of year, isn't it, when Harry Kane always seems to, to pick up an injury and, and give us a scare. I tell you what, it's not just a problem for, for England if, if he is injured. It's a massive problem for Spurs because, again, looking at that game on Friday night, if you take Harry Kane out of that Tottenham team, there's not much there, is there? Well, it was nothing no. much in the game apart from his two goals, was there, for Tottenham Hotspur? I mean, and this was a this was a reinvigorated Everton team in a sense because Hammers played quite well in a slightly different position. I don't know how they're going to get Calvert Lewin back into that team if that's how they're going to play now, but because he played as almost central, didn't he? And yeah, it was a slightly different way of setting up for Carlo Ancelotti. Um, yeah. There were reports on Sunday morning, lots of stories about Daniel Levy going to pull the plug on Jose Mourinho at the end of the season. Is that the right decision, Trevor, do you think? Um, I think you've got to be in the trenches to know what's going on uh, with the, the, the actual detail. We hear a lot of 
stories uh, surrounding Jose Mourinho and, you know, talk about kick a man when he's down or when things are not going well for him. Pogba coming out with that statement about uh, Jose and, and, and saying how he, uh, it was very difficult for him and the relationship they had and how Mourinho's harsh with players. Um, I think that was poor for me. Uh, that breaks a... Breaks a a lot of fans say, yeah, I love to hear that, but I, I just think that goes against um, everything I know to do with player and manager and well, that why relationship. Why don't you like it? Because I don't think it's true. And um, I think there's, there's two sides to every story. And I think if Jose come out and listen, I know a little bit of the background to what went on. Manchester United were very successful under Jose Mourinho for the first year till 2017. Jose Mourinho had to go back. His father died. He came back. There was a, a different dimension you know, and I think if you're not an understanding player and you don't show empathy to a manager and you don't understand that he's just gone through a life-changing situation, although Jose's trying to do his job to the best of his ability, it would have affected him. Mm. Now, Pogba mess, playing around and doing his stupidness like he has done in the past and playing up, I think Jose had just had enough of that. So, you know, for me, looking on the outside, that's the story I see and it was a little bit of both. Um, but again, for Pogba coming out and, and, and criticising Jose as a manager uh, years after the, the event, I, th- I just think that's poor play for me and but, it's, but it's mo- very moving, disloyal. Moving on from the, the Pogba thing, because it, that, that was a, a personal row between the two in which mm. Jose Mourinho responded by saying, I couldn't care less what he said, so we obviously <laughs> don't like each other. Um, he's, won, he's, he's lost seven of the 14 games yeah. in the Premier League that they've played since uh, the 28th of January when they played Liverpool. I mean... Do you think that Daniel Levy now probably thinks to himself, Crook, I should have just give him Potch what he wanted? Because it's going to cost him a hell of a lot of money if he does make a change. Well, <laughs> I, I don't know how to answer this because if I say I told you so, you'll say I always tell you I told you so. But well, you, but you do. I said at the time this was the, the complete wrong thing to do. You know I'm a massive fan of Maurizio Pochettino and I maintain that he overachieved at Tottenham taking that squad to a Champions League final and who knows what would happen bar a dodgy handball decision he earned the right for me to to, to turn things around I know they didn't have a great follow-up season but I think Daniel Levy needed to show a bit of patience show a bit of faith in the man that he had hunted from Southampton there was a reason he did that because he saw in Pochettino what I see as well he is an elite manager Jose Mourinho was an elite manager he may be again I don't think he is at the moment and I'm not sure he will be in the future but it was the wrong fit because Jose Mourinho's success is built on splashing the cash and that isn't the Daniel Levy way. So there was always going to come a time when the two philosophies collide. I think it's happened a lot sooner maybe than we expected. Uh, and possibly if, if Tottenham miraculously managed to win the League Cup next weekend, then Daniel Levy will say that he made the right call. But they're miles away from being top four contenders. They weren't miles away from being top four contenders under Pochettino. Well, they consecutively got in, in the Champions League, didn't they? Yeah, but as much as we debate, Sam, as much as we debate, um, Alex, I'm just looking at the lineup there. Loris, for me, he's had his best days. Alderweireld's had his best days. Rodon is a young player and Dyer is an adapted centre-half. Their defence is not good enough. So it doesn't matter Correct. how we dress this up. You know, they have got threats going forward. But, but, but you've got to remember Fun that Maurizio Kane. Pochettino wanted those players replaced. He wanted the older players, Vertonghen, the likes of Alderweireld, Lloris, re- replaced and new players brought in to supplement his squad. He didn't get that and things went sour. And that's why things go sour. You look at what, you know, we mentioned him earlier, Thomas Tuchel, the first game, Wolves, nil-nil, they had a lot of possession, didn't create too many chances. Any top manager sorts out the defence first because as a forward, if you're playing well and conceding goals, your confidence goes. Mm. If you're playing well 
getting chances, but keeping clean sheets, you'll st- keep on going. You'll think one goal, one goal. As soon as you start conceding, that drains your energy. And I think that's why when you look at Mourinho, he wants to get that defence sorted. He needs money. It's as simple yeah. as that. Uh, Everton have got a similar sort of problem. They've kept one clean sheet in their last 10 home matches. 2-2 two, two the final score. Sigurdsson's goal, second goal, was absolutely superb, by the way. Oh, the way wow. he converted it. it was brilliant. Um, they'll be disappointed, though, with the season that they've had so far, I think, especially if they don't end up qualifying uh, for the Europa League. Uh, Everton go to Arsenal on Friday. Arsenal drew 1-1 on Sunday with Fulham. Fulham usually play better against the better sides, but in the words of Roy Keane, the first half between Jaded Giant coming back from Europa League duty in Prague and tentative team from the side of the Thames was dreadful. Uh, (laughs) But it livened up when uh, Gabriel misplaced his foot. Uh, There was a lot of pressure on Josh Mazza to convert that penalty, bearing in mind the scenario and the lack of goals that Fulham have scored. But even though it was about as nerve-shredding a penalty as you can get, he did well to convert it, didn't he? We smashed it in, into the roof of the net. I, I, think, I think it was a great penalty uh, because of Fulham's position, because of the fact they've missed three spot kicks this season. We all remember the yep. Adamola Lookman Rabona is the most famous of those. And because of the VAR check and how long that went on for, and he had a lot of time. Yeah, exactly. But he had a lot of time to work out Actually, what he wanted to do. He was probably just in his chest, wasn't he? He was not tall enough to get to his face. <laughs> uh, he, but he had a lot of time to think about how he was going to score or arguably, maybe more pertinently when you're in that situation, how he might miss the penalty and what mm. those ramifications will be. I mean, it's a, Trevor, you, you, you took a few penalties in your career, I think, but you, you didn't have VAR to worry about, so you didn't have this no. three-minute delay that must be really nerve-wracking if you're it, Josh Magic. It, it must be. I mean, it's nerve-wracking enough. And actually, I'm glad you said that, Alex, because I actually thought I only took one penalty in my whole career as a pro. Um, and then since looking at a couple of bits of footage that's released by certain um, social media sites every now and again, I'm watching myself taking penalties. So I think it's one of them where you just go in a zone. I went in such a zone that I didn't even know I took penalties. And I've, I've, I've uh, dispatched a few penalties in my time. But it, listen, it's one of them where I think if you're a key player in that side and, and there's maybe a, a Paolo Di Canio missing or a Les Ferdinand missing, you take that responsibility because you think you're one of the senior players. You'd rather miss it yourself than be kicking yourself for passing the book and, and, and not taking that responsibility. So he took responsibility and it. He's left it, knowing that, no doubt at all. He's putting his laces through it and he executed it superbly well. And it takes big kahunas to do that. But Fulham didn't leave it uh, without any doubt. They unfortunately left it open right to the very end and Arsenal capitalised and scored in the 97th minute of the game. The footage of Scott Parker after that was actually quite heartbreaking, really, Mm. because... The, the, the camera pan to him, you could see him sort of talking to himself and his eyes closed and right next to his head was the clock, 96, 25 wow. plus seven minutes. And, and, and that whole sort of contrast, it was brilliantly shot by Sky, but you, could, you just felt for him. You really did feel, I mean, even Crook, who, 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 who hates everybody and says everybody's a crap manager, uh, even when well, I did feel a little bit sorry for him there. And understandably so, because it was it was one of those just horrible moments. I mean, I think we should say that Arsenal struggled to beat Fulham. Mm. They didn't beat Fulham, but they struggled to play against Fulham. That sort of just sums up everything you need to know about Arsenal this season. They're so untrustworthy. Yeah. But for Scott, I mean, where does he go from here? Because he's probably over now. It's a, yeah, I mean, the results that Newcastle have got, 
you know, back-to-back wins, absolutely superb win against a buoyant West Ham side. And and that moment, and when the, the camera um, zoomed in on Scott Parker, I, Crookie's not going to like this, but it reminded me of when Manchester United thought they'd won the league, when Manchester City won their first title. It was that, I mean, as a Manchester City fan, I should be thinking, yeah, look at him. I even, my heart dropped, because Sir Alex, is, you know, he's an older gentleman and he's someone that I have, I've got massive respect for. And seeing his face turn from almost joyous to then uncertainty to then, oh no, what's happened? It's, it's just not, I don't like seeing people have that kind it of pain. It was uncomfortable. Yeah, it was, it was, yeah I, was, I was gutted for Scott Parker. And I know how much, not just emotionally, physically, you know, his due diligence, Every hour of every day, he's going to be thinking about keeping that team up. And yeah, I think that that might have been the last dagger in the heart. I was pleased for Matt Ryan, uh, boyhood Arsenal fan, coming up and playing a part in the in the equalising goal. And it was a great little deft header from him to set up the move for the equaliser. But do you get a goal bonus for that? Because you're his agent, <laughs> aren't you? <laughs> I'll have ten percent for the assist. Um, but listen. It, it was hard not to feel sorry for Scott Parker. You'd have to have a heart of stone because it wasn't just today. You look at the number of kicks in the teeth that he's had in recent weeks. The one they were leading against Aston Villa, the, the late goal from Traore from a seemingly impossible yeah. angle. Ultimately, when you look at it in the cold light today, Fulham haven't been good enough to stay up this season. That's why they're going down. But it's, it's certainly not for a lack of effort on, on, on behalf of the manager or his players. But Arsenal's a strange one because I covered the game for TalkSport on Thursday night. I expected a difficult evening in Prague. It didn't work out that way. They swatted Slavia Prague aside, which left me actually questioning how Leicester managed to lose to them over two legs. Slavia uh, probably dreadful. Th- they were. At the end of the day, Arsenal got something on the board. There is a possibility that they could end up finishing in the, in the bottom half of the table. That wouldn't be palatable, especially if they don't get past Villarreal in the next round of the Europa League. been shown a second yellow card and he has been sent off not often I praise referees um, but Kevin Friend you know was spot on there allowed the advantage to go ahead so Maxman runs through crazy goal Richie's in swinger high towards the far post Fabianski's lost it oh and it's 2-0 Joe Linton puts the ball in and that's a horrible individual error from Lucas Fabianski the corner straight into his clubs but he flapped inside the six-yard area and Joe Linton, a couple of yards out, could not believe his luck. Bowen now with a cross in, looking for Diop with the header and West Ham are back in the game. It's a Diop with a free header. Now Jesse Lingard can bring them level here at St James's Park. It is Lingard against Dubravka. Lingard, right-footed, makes absolutely no mistake and what a comeback. What character here from West Ham. Richie's crossing to the penalty area and it's Joe Willock who has made it 3-2. Absolutely incredible. Just when West Ham have completed a remarkable comeback, Joe Willock stepping off the bench, scoring another crucial goal for Newcastle. Newcastle United 3, West Ham United 2. 
It was a terrific match, wonderful to watch. I read a brilliant report that started with the words, well, West Ham thought it was too good to be true, and it would all come crashing down in chaotic circumstances eventually. Now, although that might have been a little bit of an overreaction, to say that it did at St. James's Park might be a little bit much, but they literally handed... Newcastle the advantage in that game literally own goals sending off dodgy goalkeeping it was a nightmare <laughs> first 45 minutes wasn't it I mean what on earth was going on it's a tough one to um, to work out I think individual errors Fabianski's been brilliant he decides to um, have a little blip at the wrong time I think Dawson's yellow card you can accept that the second yellow card I thought was it was poor from him he's an experienced player um, I think again individual mistakes by it's a Diop it's, it's almost like all the mistakes come at once and it was in a, a very short space of time I thought they regrouped really well um, shown that character that team spirit that got that quality that they've got even with 10 men I, I think they deserve a huge amount of credit to get back to level terms and 2-2 and uh, Jesse you know showing his, his character and his personality with the penalty as well but then to lose it so late on um, to a Joe Willett goal, um, I just thought it was yeah probably what they deserved after the, the errors that they made. But well, still. a bit sorry for Ben Johnson who made a terrific goal line clearance and then got out jumped by Joe Willett. He just wasn't concentrating at the no, time no. that came into the box and then ended up conceding the, the winning goal as a result of that. Lingard, you mentioned. Uh, his best ever goal tally in a single Premier League season. He's only been playing for two months. Nine <laughs> goals in ten games. Absolutely sensational. Yeah, the month no wonder, accounts. Everybody wants to start signing him now. Joe Willock has had a terrific impact too. Three goals in nine games. There was a report in the Telegraph actually on Sunday morning that Newcastle were looking to sign him permanently as their first summer signing. Or that, that was Bruce's position, which mm. itself looks more secure, which won't please the fan base, but will please Alex Crook. Uh. Well, you'll accuse me of U-turns. My opinion on Steve Bruce has fluctuated throughout the course of the season because if you remember around about Christmas time, I was quite scathing of the Newcastle fans and sort of asking, what, what do you want? You know, you haven't we, won anything lost for track years. Of your position. We just, just turn up every week and find out where you're at. <laughs> I, I think Steve Bruce deserves credit because it, it, it's been a toxic job that he's been given. I've got to know a Newcastle fan pretty well um, since my house move, actually. And they've never forgiven him for going to Sunderland. That's a big problem, you know, straight away. He, he hasn't been given a chance because of those Sunderland connections. But ultimately, he's working for Mike Ashley, the least ambitious owner in the Premier League. His, the grand total of his ambition is to just stay up. They are going to achieve that. I think they're actually going to stay up with something to spare. Well, they could uh, end up with more points than Southampton by the end of the week. <laughs> Exactly. So the fact that Steve Bruce has managed to do that, despite the fact he's been subject to abuse on social media, there have been fan protests outside the ground, there have been bust-ups with players, and I'm not convinced that everybody in, the, in that playing squad is necessarily pulling in his direction. He's managed to produce performances. You know, the 2-2 draw against Spurs, I thought they played very well. And they were brave in this game against West Ham because they took the game to West Ham. That They tried to, certainly in the first half, stop West Ham playing in between the lines, which they've been really good at since Jesse yeah. Lingard got there. So His game plan was him. really good here, actually. I thought they, they, they knew what West Ham were going to try and do and they stopped them from being able to do that. And they knew how to create chances against them. And Alisson Maximan was in terrific form once again. The problem that Newcastle fans will articulate is that this has been few and far between and they should have been playing handbrake off a little bit earlier on in the season Steve Bruce will argue well I needed to get the job done I suppose it depends on your perspective as to how you deal with it but look they haven't been great to watch over the course of most of the season let's be clear about that I mean I remember being at the Carabao Cup semi uh, quarterfinal that was a low uh, point 
Uh, was it semi-final, quarter-final, quarter-final? Uh, when they when when they went down to Brentford and they were nothing short of abysmal. Uh, they they seem to show no effort in that game, and that was just criminal, really unnecessarily so. But they've lost only one of the last seven now, and now and they've won, they have won back to back games, Brucey. So you can say that now. Um, <laughs> West West Ham's next game is on Saturday against Chelsea. What a huge fixture in this race, this brilliant race for the top four, which is going to unfold. That's live on Talksport at five thirty. It should be well tasty. Wolves won Sheffield United nil. Uh, that finished uh, late on Saturday night. It was a game that saw Sheffield United relegated. One goal, a first for William Jose. It came about because of a mistake. And that's been the difference between this year and last year for Sheffield United. We do have to give Crook a tiny bit of credit here. Hold on. Yep, there it is. That <laughs> tiny bit of credit because he did say that Sheffield United will be relegated uh, this season back in June, before the end of last season. Uh, not the most outlandish prediction, bearing in mind that most of their squad have come from League One, but certainly not a foregone conclusion either. So well done, Crook. <laughs> yeah, I never know if you're being genuine or not. <laughs> I'm never being genuine to you, sir. <laughs> that game summed up their season didn't it in many ways it was another defeat by the odd goal and they haven't been hammered very often probably barring that that first game after Chris Wilder's departure they, they've been competitive still in most games but ultimately they've not had the quality to turn those performances into points they made a mistake for the goal they've missed a really good chance seconds earlier at the other end and Listen, even if they got a point from the game, it would only prolong their agony. But it will be interesting to see how they set about bouncing back because I don't see too many players there that are going to be picked off by Premier League teams. So I think they'll keep the bulk of their squad together. Rian Brewster has been an absolute disaster for a £25 million signing. Is he going to score the goals in the Championship to get them back up? And who's going to be the manager? Because I'm not convinced it's going to be Paul Heckingbottom. It's not going to be mm. Paul Heckingbottom, is it? I mean, that, 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 he's, he's made it pretty clear he's only there till the end of the season. It could be Jason Tindall. Well, he's very good and pals do, with and the do, chief executive. Do you get a cut of that? <laughs> I wish I did get a cut of all these deals, I'd tell you. Um, listen, my understanding is that, that, that Jason went up there as, as a favour to the chief executive, having got to know him a few years earlier. They wanted after some... you'd done him loads of favours and got him on every radio station in the country after he was sacked by Bournemouth. Uh, they wanted an outside voice um, to come in. A lot of clubs um, seem to go that way. I don't think they've got any worse under Heckingbottom and Tyndall, barring that one disastrous game against Leicester. I haven't got a clue where they'll go, to be honest. I'd imagine they they might look for an overseas coach. That seems to be the trend, isn't it, even in the championship now? Well, are, you, are you a licensed intermediary? Or have you not, have you, have you not got your... <laughs> Definitely not. There's nothing licensed about him. Um, Manchester United beat Burnley by three goals to one on Sunday at four o'clock. Um, look, after the exploits of the Europa League, never easy after playing on Thursday to play on a Sunday and... You know, they've got to keep winning. They may end up winning the title. You never know. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer says they can still catch Manchester City. Can they, Trevor? Well, eight points, six games. Um, it's, it's, been, it's been done before. Um, but I would, say, I, would, I would say Manchester City have got enough to get over the line and get the points that they need to make it impossible for Manchester United to catch them. But on the form, you know, you've got to speak to your players, as Ole Gunnar Solskjaer will be, and saying they're having a, they're having a bit of downtime here, that they're, they're, they're off form. We need to make sure we take care of our business, win every game we can, and uh, and it's out of our control. But if they do have a little bit of a blip, which they are, two losses in the last three games, 
we, we were there to take advantage of that. So I think the players will, will see a, a glimmer of hope, but it's just a glimmer. Um, but yeah, no, good win for Manchester United. Um, I, I was pleased for Greenwood. You know, he's Great he has first a, goal, he, wasn't it? A lovely yeah, little step goal. over from... Great second Bruno goal Fernandes. as well. Great second goal, individual goal again, being too fussy, being able to go both ways. I think he's a, a real hot, hot um, property and, and like real talent because you don't get many players that can go both ways and, and be as successful with their end product. And he's got that in abundance. Gareth Southgate's first ever chat with him is, is Mason, which is your best foot? Because he doesn't know because the, he can play off either. And the other thing about that is, is when you look at some of the, the situation, you know, we all talk about how great the England forward line is going into the European Championships. Well, Grealish hasn't played. Madison isn't playing and wasn't playing very well when he came on off the bench today. Tammy Abraham's been exiled. Uh, Raheem Sterling's having a moment where he's not playing very well at all. Rashford isn't scoring many goals. All of a sudden, Greenwood, who's only played 12 minutes for England back in uh, uh, September, all of a sudden might become a live option again. I guess the issue is, is, is the incident in Iceland and, and whether Gareth Southgate thinks at this stage that, that Mason Greenwood is going to be a good tourist because as Trevor will know, it's, it's as much about that as it is about football ability. And I, I wonder if Gareth Southgate might see that as too big a risk. But obviously United have been without Anthony Martial and I mentioned that, that that would be a problem, not because Martial is a fantastic number nine, but just because that they'll miss that focal point. Obviously Cavani they're having to pick and choose his games because he's in the veteran stage of his career. So Greenwood, to his credit, for such a young player, has really stepped up when they've needed it. He's scored nine goals now. I think he scored five in his last six games in all competitions. So credit to him for that. And, and he's playing he's playing like he did when he first burst into the team last season. It's been a difficult season for him. And I think that incident in Iceland probably contributed to that. But he looks like he's got his head back on his shoulders now. He's switched on. He's focused on his football. And he's got a big part to play. Um, talking about you know the odd looks, I didn't like Dean Henderson's red cap with the the, the grey goalkeeping outfit. I mean, it didn't look great at all. And he didn't put it on his head properly. What was that all about? Going to say he looked like um, Mr. Potato Head, didn't he? When he, yeah. when he first came <laughs> out with that, didn't work. Uh, he, he had a difficult afternoon. I think eight seconds well, when he came for the punch and missed yeah. it and conceded. He, he dropped another it was a clanger. marginal offside, by yeah. the way. Yeah, it was, and he dropped another clanger in the second half. So, listen, this is a, a young goalkeeper who's learning on the job, and um, I've been advocating for a while that David de Gea shouldn't be the number one, but I, I, I don't. I don't think at the moment Dean Henderson well, is nece- another U-turn. No, I don't think at the moment Dean Henderson is necessarily at that top level. He might get there, but I think United fans are going to have to be patient because he will make mistakes along the way, and they're going to have to accept that. Uh, What's worse, his bro- hat or your tash, Trevor? <laughs> no, my tash is my tash is in fashion. I'm getting a lot of compliments from this tash. Uh, and, and listen, check out my Instagram. Look, I'm, I, I think it's a big hit. Mm. I mean, I'm not sure who it's a big hit with, but you know, I think there's there's definitely some positives. Uh, Liverpool take on Leeds on Monday night. It's a big game, this because Liverpool are in a situation where they haven't got anything else to play for now, apart from the top four. They can focus, laser precision, drill down into getting into the top four. Can they do it, Trevor? I think so. I think so. I think West Ham's performance and result against Newcastle has, has opened the door um, where they can start to gain ground on teams like that. Um, well, it's Leicester, think, Chelsea, West Ham and Liverpool for two places, isn't it? Yeah, I think, I think um, Chelsea's the big deal. I think it's going to be either or. I do think Leicester are going to get over the line. 
um, even though they've got a really difficult, I think it's the last three fixtures of the season. But I think it's going to be, unfortunately, I don't think West Ham are going to be able to stay the course. And I think, and I think that will be put to bed next week when, when Chelsea do a job on West Ham. That's what I'm predicting. Obviously, my heart's saying I hope West Ham win, but I just feel with Jesse Lingard potentially out, um, Antonio out, I think my original fears about not getting that back up for Antonio and getting a backup striker is going to come back to hurt West Ham, even though it's still going to be a very successful season for David Moyes. And just on that, I just feel Liverpool keeping a clean sheet in that second leg against uh, Real Madrid. I think that'll be a huge confidence boost for them players at the back. And I think they're going to build on that and uh, hopefully they can uh, get going again. I think Lingard should be okay for that game. From what I'm told, it's just a, a minor muscle injury cramp. Yeah. cramp you know, oh, should, right, be, okay. should, should be fine. Um, just on this this top four race, just to clarify, because I think it's worth pointing out that there is a way that um, a team could finish in the top four and not qualify for the Champions League. If, if, Arsenal, news. if Arsenal win the Europa League and therefore they get into the Champions League and Chelsea were to win the Champions League and not finish in the yeah. top four, then whoever finishes fourth, be that Liverpool, Leicester or West Ham, could they would miss it, out yeah. because England can only have five representatives in the Champions League. That is true. Um, so uh, but it hasn't happened before that, uh, but uh, since they changed the rules, but it did happen in a different way to Tottenham Hotspur, who finished in fourth in 2012 and Chelsea won the Champions League and stole their place as a result of that. So, look, you know, uh, anything can happen, may happen. There's still drama to come over this Premier League season and we'll cover it all on TalkSport and here on the Game Day podcast. Thank you very much uh, for listening to us. We appreciate it. That's it from us. We're back on Thursday afternoon when we look ahead to the Carabao Cup final and the weekend Premier League action with Darren Lewis and Alex Crook. Please rate and review the podcast and tell all your friends to subscribe to Game Day's podcast from TalkSport and make sure whatever you do, if you're going out with your friends in a garden, you stay safe and don't wear a red cap with a grey goalkeeping outfit. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.